Yes, hello, folks. Welcome to the weekly Manchester United podcast. I'm your host, as always, Phil Brown, joined my regular co-host, the excellent James Rhodes from United Muppeteers. James, it's Tuesday, not Monday. Um, delayed this podcast a day, which actually worked out since the Ineos thing has been confirmed at Premier League. We understood, of course, it was a formality, but it's been approved. So good news there. And of course, on the heels of a very, very good win against Villa. Um, how was your weekend, my friend? Good. It continues to not be spoiled by United. It's a nice feeling. It's almost like surprising. Like, what do I do with my my rage, my agitation? Where do I direct all this anger? <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's definitely been very different um, for all the right reasons. Big win against Villa this weekend. We'll get into the NEO stuff uh, in the middle of the show where we look at some of the news and headlines surrounding the football club. But... Um, number of things I want to pick out from this weekend. One, United have had many revivals before in mm-hmm. season where we're football fans, we're United fans, we're looking for reasons to be optimistic. We're like, okay, maybe this is the start of something, maybe this is the start of something. And it would always end once they had a difficult away game, something like this, where it was a difficult fixture where United just couldn't seem to find a way to win these games. I was thinking about this. United needed to win the game if there were, yeah. uh, of course, any aspirations of Champions League, but I didn't think they would. I thought, you know, United have not been good in these big games, haven't won away to a top nine, which is really a poor record for Ten Hag. But I just didn't have the confidence and the trust in United yet. The Leicester Martinez injury, you know, it's, this is a big concern. But so many reasons to be optimistic in that game. One, Hoyland scores again. Two, in the past, once United went to 1-1, they'd have conceded the second goal. Predictable outcome. But they didn't. They won it late, just like they did at Wolves. Won it late, and McTominay scores again. Uh, very, very important goal. And there was just, for me, something different about that Villa game that we haven't seen uh, with previous uh, a previous revivals that makes me believe, you know, maybe maybe Ten Hag is onto something here. Yeah, it was an improvement in in a lot of ways. In some ways, in some ways not, but in in a lot of ways, I think as to especially mentality, um, where you know United were struggling for a while at a certain point in the game after the first goal, going a bit too quick at times. Ten Hag talked about that in his post match one. But they didn't collapse in the same way that we've seen, right? There's been a resilience. And um, even against Newport, I mean, you know, they drew it back level and they still went on to win it um, against Wolves. Um, There's definitely a change. There's a change. You know, we've had some late winners, but... but we've seen a lot of collapses in between and a lot of times where they go down one, and they just fall apart even more, and they cannot hold on. And that is a difficult game, and especially away. That's the first away win against a top-nine team under Ten Hag since he's been appointed, not just this season. Took a long time to get there, uh, to get that too long, but it's a fantastic win against a very good Villa team. Um, And they needed it. They needed it for top 
well, it looks like top five probably will be enough based on the coefficients. I think United's uh, England's odd is pretty odds are pretty good. Um, so there's a good chance to climb into the Champions League. And the biggest thing now is that they need those results. And um, there's obviously a lot of factors that can go into why it's improved. Um, you know, a lot of players back is obviously one of the reasons. Uh, no doubt about that, that yeah. that helps. Um, there are seven wins in eight games since uh -huh. the Ineos deal was announced as well at the same time, not to give them too much credit for everything, uh -huh. but it certainly has made a difference in the past. We saw Newcastle go on a pretty big winning run after they had new owners come in in January, I believe, last year and start talking. Was it last year or the year before? I can't recall. Either way, it improved quite dramatically yeah. after that. Um, we know that Jim Ratcliffe has been a regular fixture at the club. We know that Dave Brailsford basically lives there at the moment in terms of being active, that they've been giving team talks, that they've been doing all that. Those have to be a good thing. Whether they're responsible for the change in form, they're a good thing knowing that the focus is on winning, but also raising the standards of knowing you've got to perform if you want to be here next season, if you want to, what you want to, where you want to strive for and that everybody's on the same page. I'm sure that it's been having a positive effect on things. And then the third factor is, you know, team selection, I think can't be ignored that date coincident with Ten Hag selecting this front three, mm -hmm. the, the uh, form has changed. I did some numbers and before the prior the whole season up to these last eight games, they have been scoring one goal per game in the Premier League, 18 goals, 18 games. And it, funnily enough, their expected goals was the same. Or if you like those stats, it was about one and a half. In the eight games since, Rashford, Hoyland, Garnacho, um, they're scoring two and a half goals per game. So you're scoring two and a half times as many goals per game. And you look at the scores, you know, it's, it's two, it's three, it's four, it's multiple every single game now. Uh, and the chances are coming and they're putting away. You can see the front three is a massive threat. And in some respects for me personally, when I, when I watch, I don't know that overall the team is that much better, but goals win you games and you have an incredibly dangerous front three that is productive and works well together and is really, really hard to defend against. And it's, you know, it's working and it's winning your games right now. Yeah, I think there's a number of things. One, you know, United are finally getting goals from different players. Last season was largely Rashford. So they had basically one goal threat where, you know, if you shot Rashford down, if Rashford had a poor game, there was... You know, you, you you done a long you went a long way to nullifying United's threat. Mm -hmm. um, I think we can say with a high degree of confidence now the front three as they are are United's best front three. Um, they all complement each other well. Garnacho playing on the right. Um, I don't want to continue to criticize Anthony, but I'm just going to make some comparisons. I think Anthony, in terms of ball skills and everything, probably a little bit uh, more gifted, but it's all about to me how you utilize your skills at this level. You know, it's great if you're a freestyler, then you, you can go ahead and, and utilize those skills. But at this level, Garnacho can beat you on the right. 
He can beat you on the left. He can cut and set on his left foot. He can score. He can go down the right, put a ball across the box. Every week, seems like he's either scoring or creating chances or causing havoc. Um, he's still a young player. I think that's 19 games in a row we started. It's like City, uh, the City home game was the last time he didn't start. Um, yeah. That you know, dwarfs anything Ronaldo or Rooney had done at this age in terms of consecutive starts. I'm not by any means comparing him um, as players, but this is clearly an exceptional talent. This is clearly mm -hmm. a young player that is an exceptional talent. And he makes such a difference to United's front line. He makes Hoyland more dangerous. Um, and so I think uh, he also was helping Dallow. You know, Dallow yep. probably had his best game for United at the weekend. Just like I think Shaw helps Rashford uh, and vice versa. So I think that uh, Garnacho on the right just gives United much more balance and, and they're a much better team. Uh, McTominay. So McTominay, you know, you can focus on his strengths or his weaknesses. And it's easy to point out, you know, he's got this failure, this failure, this failure, and that's fine. Okay. But if you look at some of the key stats that matter, goals and assists, He's in the top 5% of midfielders in the Premier League for his goals and assists. So if you get a player that's coming off the bench that can score goals with that regularity, that can be that much of a threat, that, you know, that to me is not just a valuable squad player, but that's a, maybe we should be focused more on his positives. Yeah, and I think that it comes down to, as you said, agreed, it comes down to role, right? and how a player is utilized to play to their strengths. It's like Scott McTominay as a starting midfielder, as a starting midfielder, mm -hmm. I think he's been really poor. I don't think it's his position, and I think he's never really, you know, he's had, he had games, you know, obviously back in previous years where he would sit in a deep block, you know, with, with Fred as a partnership and, and put together some solid performances, but never really good. Overall, it wasn't great. The play wasn't great. When he's asked to do a midfield job in this team, it doesn't suit him. And so it's one of those things. What are you good at? What are you best at? Where do the strengths suit you? He's he's one of those players that's probably struggled a bit by never really nailing down a position and being coached you know, heavily in a position for a long period of time. As a sub coming on, making late runs into the box, that area. It's hard to see players who've done better at doing that, at, yeah, at having an eye for goals. If you think about it, like, so I agree with you 100%, that if you start yeah. him in a game where you're trying to impose yourself on a game, you're trying to dictate yep. a play, where yep. that is, you know, because he just doesn't have that skill set. Yep. Bringing him on the last 20 minutes in a game when you need a goal, when you've changed tactic, you know, where you're willing to take certain risks and you're trying to change how you play, there's tremendous value in that. Yes, right? Because, I agree. you know, you're throwing balls in the box. He's got height. You know, he's physical. He's, he's, he's a good finisher. Um, and I think, so what he isn't is clear and what he is is clear. Yep. Um, but it's very difficult to get players that you can bring off the bench that can change your game mm -hmm. tactically too because... You know, you need to bring off Rashford at the weekend, right? Which was a bit of a shock. You know, 73 minutes to bring him off. They go two up front, and 
so they, they lose a bit of the width and McTominay coming in is a nightmare because he's, he's about six foot four, you know. So um, one of the things that was also pleasing about that goal was there was a quick early ball put in from out wide. Um, and I just think for if someone wants to buy Scott McTominay, he's not a £30 million footballer to me. And the other player that United almost lost this summer was Maguire, who was immense. When you go back to the game before James West Ham, he comes on, makes a mistake pretty early uh, when he comes on. Emerson Royal, I think it was, went through, thankfully missed it. He came in at the weekend, was absolutely magnificent. So I think, like, um, you know, McTominay, Maguire, in some sense, were really lucky we didn't lose him this summer. Yeah, it's it's always a challenge, right? With with uh with this because yeah, I know. It's like what do you tr- you know, you're trying to build. You look at you know, look at City. Obviously, they have so much in depth that allows them to be strong. And part of the problem is that you know, Maguire is he is he good enough all the time to be a top level? Yeah, that's a different question. It's you know, and so then if he's not gonna be that, how is he do you keep him as depth? Is he willing to be depth? It's tricky, right? It mm-hmm. it is a really this is the complexities of building a football team where you will hope you have maybe younger players for those backup positions who don't necessarily need to play every game until you're winning. I think once you start winning a lot, like City do, a lot of players are more willing to be depth, to rotate, to not start every game at City because, well, it's worth it. You know you're going to play because Pep rotates like crazy too. He changes his team practically constantly. Um, but you're going to win a lot if you play at City and you're going to become very valuable in your career. And even then, they refresh their team constantly in terms of the players you know you look at the wingers how many they've gone through during this iteration of really good talented players sterling sane you know uh farron torres mares like they've had so many players they go through and that's part of it is if you want to have a a team full of these like really good players including depth they're going to be selling and moving on and coming back and getting more all the time and so it's it's like a it's, it's tricky because if you were to say with that this summer do you sell McTominay for 35 40 million you get a massive ffp cushion from scott McTominay in particular uh because he's he's you know from the academy has no fee attached to him i think you you probably would because it's a lot of financial consideration for a very specific role uh in the team and you'd think at some point maybe he's going to want to play somewhere all the time because so, he could. And and that's – it's it's tricky. It is hard. But it, it – and it's the same with Maguire. I really like Maguire. I think he's done incredible. Will he be fine being mostly second fiddle, you know, to the next evolution of the team? Yeah, look, uh, uh, to me – Two different questions. One, do I think Maguire's the right answer long term? No. I still yeah. go back to my previous evaluation of him that he can be a very, very good player, but I still think United need to improve in that position. Um yeah. 
what I would say though with both him and McTominay is had United have sold him, what I wouldn't have been confident in is that the replacement would have been anything close to what we're seeing right now. Like yeah, not not under the Glazers last summer. <laughs> yeah, so if United had sold McTominay, yeah. I still think we'd have ended up with Amrabat, right? And had mm-hmm. no replacement. So imagine Ten Hag will probably be out of a job right now if that had happened. Right. Um if Ned had a sold Maguire and um, you know, maybe brought in Benjamin Pavard or something, I don't think United would be getting out of Benjamin Pavard what they got out of Maguire. I agree. So in some sense, it's also a, a, a credit testament to their attitude that they yep. decided that even though we're not in a team, even though you know uh, a manager tried to sell us, we're still going to knuckle down and show 100%. And thankfully, they have. I mean... I certainly didn't predict that Harry Maguire would rehabilitate his image and perception to this degree. And yeah. whether he should be there beyond the summer is a different question, right? Because, um, you know, one of the things to talk about the Ineos bounce, one of the things that players that have been there for a while um, will finally be seeing and trusting is real change is coming. You know, every yeah. time there's been a new manager coming, you know, it works for a short period of time, and then players start to see that the change is not, you know, it, it, it's, it's superficial. So this is the open heart surgery that Ranik was talking about. So now players are operating in a whole different environment, a whole different, um, you know, a, a consequence and incentive environment. Now players know there's no more, you know, staying at this club for years without performing. Right. There's no yep. more, you know, contracts of convenience because we don't want to sell you. And I think an example of this is Aaron Wan-Bissaka, where in the past, you know, United obviously extended his contract with the option of 18 months. Previously, Wan-Bissaka would have got the contract that he wanted. And now United are not doing that. And so there's players within the dressing room that are now know there's an, I mean, a new sheriff in town, if you like. And so United are operating completely different and it's not just words you saw what they did in january you know they saw how expeditiously they move players out how they're bringing new people in that are on the football club completely differently and so i think for some of the existing players that have been there for a while this change will have lifted them emotionally how could it not and then of course um i think that the Naturally, human beings will respond to different consequences and different incentives. That's what you're going to find out really soon uh, which players are capable of surviving in that environment and which players aren't. But one thing that's clear to these players um, is that it's a lot easier for United to move you on today than what it was before. If you want to stay here, this is a level that's required. If not, it's okay, you can go. And yep. I think, ironically, the players that are in most danger of that are the players that are making the most money. The Casemiro's, the Varans, you know, maybe even Marcus Rashford, what have you. Those are players where, you know, because you can see any of us were going after the top earners, right? Mm-hmm. That we're happy to pay you this, but if you're not happy or, you know, if we're not getting consistent performances, then we'll have to come to a, a resolution quite quickly. And I think Varane has been decent. Um, you know, his last few weeks, Casemiro has been better than the player we saw at the start of the season. Still not 100% perfect. That's okay. Um, and 
you know, Marcus has had his best run of form since, you know, pretty much for the last four or five weeks, I would say. So, yep. um, I mean, that, that's definitely encouraging. It is. It is for sure. And and as you said, it's it's going to be, yeah, certainly more dangerous the more you earn because obviously one of the biggest factors that's been talked about and will continue to be, and this is modern football now, uh, is, uh, is, of course, how FFB works and the financial limitations and where United are at within that. Because it's all about going to end up being about costs because you're going to max it. You're not going to win without absolutely pushing the limits of FFP, right? It's just the reality of it because of the competition, because of teams like City and what they can spend and and what they can do and all of that. You Mm -hmm. are going to have to max out on what you get. And that means, you know, for every dollar spent, it's like, what are you getting out of it? is it worth it? And so a player who's on 350000 a week, like a Varane or a Casemiro, is going to have to produce a lot to prove that they are worth it. Because if you can replace Casemiro with Amadou Onana from Everton for 100000 a week, because he's on half of that now, you're talking about millions, tens of millions a year less for similar performance. And of course, that's the consideration always in in football, of course, is, is obviously you're trying to get more for less, but it's going to push people. Uh, it is going to push people and it's going to push them to say, yeah, I've got to perform to the level, I actually have to perform to the level of my contract because no one's going to be resting on those laurels anymore. And those contracts are not going to be given out, you know, willy nilly anymore, like candy to, to anybody who wants to make a lot of money and has a big name in the sport. Um, and, and that is going to be a serious, a serious difference. And, and you know, I, I think that uh, this summer, some aspects of it will look like a cost saving exercise. But of course, it's not. It's what is the purpose of that cost saving exercise, I guess, is more the point. And why are they doing that? Summer. Yeah, so. a lot of work to do. Uh, we'll talk about that at the end of the show. Just uh, lastly, before we move on from the uh, game on uh, Sunday, Rasmus Hoyland, uh mm-hmm. scores once again. Uh yeah. scores a goal. Uh his, his, his variety of goals is really, really impressive. You know, he's, he scores goals from outside the box, you know, he can take a ball inside the half, inside his own half, run 40, 50 yards, score, um, score from the corner. This was a poacher's goal at the weekend. Um and that consecutive run of games of scoring goals, big games too. You know, if you look at the Villa games, you know, that goal, that goal was a winner. Right. Look at the goal of the weekend. That it's not the fifth goal in the six 0 one. It's a vital goal. Um, young man that really has found his feet at the perfect time, and really, really exciting young striker. Teams. I mean, the best young striker that I've got excited about at United, probably uh, you know, since. I know Van Persie wasn't young, but I would say the best striker I've really got excited about. I know Falcao brought some hope, but. You know, they were all at the latter end. Rasmus Hoyland is young. Potential is enormous. And it looks like he's got over that psychological, um, you know, hurdle, that impediment of when he scored in the Premier League. He believes in himself. And there's plenty in the other team now that are creating a lot more chances. Yeah, he's he's done incredible. I would say um, 
I don't want to forget about Romelu Lukaku because is it, first no, season I, 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 under I, I, Jose was really good. He was really good that no, one season. I, I did think about him um, yeah. because, <laughs> uh, because I really like Lukaku, um, but I there was question marks over Lukaku. Yes, right. And yes. I, I, one other aspect I wanted to ask you about the Hoyland resurgence, and I think you sort of mentioned it earlier. Is do you think his form was also owed to the fact that Nai Granach was on the right? I do. I think it helps a lot, you know, like, cause you could see him uh, and, and he's got all the tools. You can see he's, he's fast, he's physical. He is, um, he's got it. You know, there, there's nothing he doesn't really have from a physical perspective, but you can see how frustrating it can be at sometimes when you look at the strength of the front three right now, same as the last time out against Villa, they're all fast really really fast players who are very direct and not only does that is that good for their individual matchups but you know when Rashford is essentially terrorizing Matty Cash on one side mm-hmm. it's going to pull the attention of center backs away from Rasmus Hoyland it's going to pull somebody away from Rasmus Hoyland and when Garnacho is doing the same thing on the other side it's going to pull a center back away from Rasmus Hoyland so instead of him being stuck in between two at all times, which you can, if you watch back on a lot of the games, he never gets space prior to this front three playing. He would never have any room. There's always two glued to him because, you know, when Anthony gets the ball again, not to pick on him too much, but when he gets the ball and goes down that side, he stops, cuts inside, and one player can defend him always. They never double team him. They never drag any other defenders out there. Garnacho, you can see when he's making his runs, now you're getting players pulled from both directions. And of course, it's opening up the middle. The spaces are there. The spaces are there quite a bit more for him. And he's taking full advantage of it. And uh, and I just think it's it's a natural conclusion of having a real threat to help him on both sides, who are both looking, you know, more and more for him. I, I think Rashford has been looking for him a lot at times, but you could see earlier in the season it was so jammed in the middle. It was always so jammed in the middle. Um, he's getting spaces now and he's, and he's attacking them really intelligently. Uh, I'm very excited about it because yeah. One I mean, of things, this is going to sound really petty. Okay. Yeah. Um, but one of the things that fans pick up on is when you see a thousand replays of a goal, mm-hmm. they watch how other players celebrate it. And one of the things that fans have picked up on, you know, was Garnacho. You know, he saw Mandalo get back, you know, Jared Bowen, you know, pulls off a tackle, you know, he's celebrating, he's on his knees. There's many other times we needed to score important goals or Garnacho has been really, really emotionally, um, you know, legitimately engaged in it and clearly, you know, is someone that plays for the team. Emotive, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and where... And this is sometimes personality. You know, Cristiano Ronaldo wasn't exactly the most um, jovial individual when someone else would score, right? But (laughs) people have noticed that that you know, Anthony doesn't really do that and um, doesn't really celebrate when other players score, no matter how important they are. And these are just little optic things that Mm. fans really care about. And not saying everyone expresses happiness in a different way, different personalities, you know, Roy King wasn't exactly the most jovial either sometimes, you know, but I think that um, when people are creating 
narratives around players and whether they're truly committed or whether there's these little things help. And um, I, do. I, I think Anthony needs to start finding things that endear himself to the fans. And I, I think part of the problem for him is the more Garnacho plays and the better he needs to play, um, that bar gets raised for him to try to get back yeah. into the team because now United will notice Garnacho's absence even more, which is going to make it harder for him. I really would love for him to find his feet, to become an exceptional United player. Um, but I think I probably have never been more skeptical that that will actually happen, but I hope I'm wrong. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think Garnacho doing what he does makes you look and say, mm. if he can do this at this age, this mm -hmm. level of experience, come on. You know, it's like... Such an <laughs> it's, bad teams. He's so exciting. Yeah, I mean, it's like, guys. you're not going to get over that. You know, you're not going to beat that. I, I just... He's already a fan, an amazing player. It just is. He's already an exceptional talent, is Garnacho. And I don't think that, you know, I think when you look in a market, it's going to be hard to find a player better than him at the moment. You know, um, like we've talked about Michael Olise and these, and these players. And I think there's comparables. And I think that you'd want that level. And they might be near that level as well. But that's a good thing. And, you know, it's it's just, you know, when he comes in and since the first game being put on that side has performed the way he has, I, I do doubt that there's any real road back for, for, for Anthony into the team in that manner. Um, but yeah, a good performance. And I, and I agree. And I think that there, you can see a relationship, a togetherness and a familiarity that has really built pretty quickly with this front mm -hmm. three, frankly, since they've been playing where they're reading each other's movements really well. And I think it helps that they're all kind of doing the same thing. You know what I mean? They, they have the, the same philosophy and attack, very direct, very mm -hmm. fast. They go for it. They, they, they kind of, you know, they're all a little different in, in, in how they approach it, but uh, they're doing the same thing. And, and the last player I think you probably wanted to touch on was Luke Shaw um, too in this game, because I thought he was once again, excellent. His, his, his relationship with Rashford on the left is like, practically automatic goal scoring mm. chances every game when he's playing. Um, and it was obviously a big difference when he came off. Um, I'm concerned about him United. too. Yeah. Because he's getting quite injury prone. Yes. And Terrell Malassia, no, I don't know if he was kidnapped by aliens or something. <laughs> the missing or, man. <laughs> or, or, or what actually happened here. Where we went on a... You know, on a, a uh, some type of Arctic excursion or something. But I mean, what is he recovering from? Because um, nobody seems to know what, what's actually going on with him. And uh, you know, I'm starting to ask questions about Ten Hag. You know, really, you know, it's back in two weeks. Back in two weeks. You know, this is no one ever seems to know when he's coming back. Uh, but in all seriousness, <laughs> you're just going, wait a minute. You know, what are we going to do here? Because Shaw's injured a lot. You saw what happened with Lindelof came on at the weekend. Yep. Immediately makes a mistake because he's left, he's right-footed on the left. Uh, United lose so much when it comes to um, when, when it comes to playing a right-footed left-back. Um, I think uh, 
that may be something to look at this summer is do we need another left back? Um, because, you know, that you can see when you talk about the resurgence in United form, that is such an important part. I mean, you look at the goal against Wolves, you know, Shaw on the overlap down the line, bank ball, and Harlan gets it right away goal. The, the, you don't just lose out on an exceptional left sided defender, which you know, don't have enough of, you know, left footed defender. You lose out on Shaw's overlap. Um, even, um, I think it was a, it was a Newport goal. It was um, Newport, okay. but um, on the left hand side, a brilliant ball, and you know he's he he offers so much, and um, but he I think because he offers so much, he needed rushing back a bit, but you know big concern there, and I think that may be something they need to address. Um, let's shift this one. We spent uh, nearly thirty minutes talking about that game because there was so much to talk about, which is a positive. Um, lots of other stuff making the news before I talk to you about potential new stadium. Let's talk to you about, of course, the Enios announcement. Um, it was a formality as we expected that yep. the Premier League have ratified and approved. Um, Sir Jim's uh takeover is 25%. I, I believe there's still some stuff that needs to be sorted out with the class A shares where that needs to be completed um and i think the fa have to rubber stamp it which again is a formality so what do you understand what the process is that yeah so um the premier league approval the owners and directors test obviously being completed united filed it in their sec filing yesterday um i don't totally know you know some of these things are sort of intertwined in in terms of timing uh where i think there was some more questions about certain things that extended part of it, but you know, the FA approval is going to come after the close of the tender offer. Um, it's hard to know the, the exact le legalities or logistics of it, but the tender offer for the class A shares will end now on Saturday midnight, basically. Right. And. Uh, is it possible that that, so the class A is obviously what gets bought on the market, right? Yes. And the most important one is the class B. Yeah. Um, is there an obligation for those class A's to be sold? Could the potential sellers go, you know what, we're not selling them? They don't have to. It, there's no, Here's the thing. Like, let's say nobody said they wanted to sell. Doesn't matter. Doesn't actually change the deal at the end of the day. Yeah. Um, the no, yeah. The legality is that he had to make the same offer. That he made to the class B uh, from a proportion. So he's buying 25% from the Glazers at a certain price. The whole legal conundrum was you got to uh, make the same offer to these other class of shareholders. Don't treat them differently. He's made the same offer. No matter how many people choose to sell, it's done in that respect. Mm -hmm. He's made the same offer. He's covered legally. Now, there's already more than enough shares that have been tendered, essentially, means that people who have accepted the offer, they extend the time. He's offering to buy 25%. I think 35% of all shares have been uh, accepted to say, yeah, we would take this up, which is more than he's offering to buy. So it's already mm -hmm. essentially filled. But what will happen is it'll get filled up to whatever amount it is by the end. And it gets a little confusing here. But let's say half of all shareholders decide, yeah, we want to sell our shares. But he's only buying 25%. Then they'll say, that they'll kind of break it apart effectively into, into how it works so that he's buying an equal portion of, of enough to get up to 25%. None of it really matters in terms of the class A thing. It's just 
what it is. The Class B takeover, the, the Class B purchase of shares from the Glazers will occur when the ratification is uh, is complete, um, because that is one of the terms of the deal. That it, you know, it's subject to the approval of the FA, which is the last thing. Once that is done, then the actual execution of the purchase of those Class B shares will occur, and the Class A shares, to be fair, whatever is tendered, and the deal will be officially complete, and he'll be, you know, uh, everything else will be in full force and effect yeah. at that point in time. So it looks like it's going to be around, I think, around middle of next week is when it's probably going to be all wrapped up entirely. Yeah, so he's, he's uh, as well as buying the Class B shares, uh, he has made an offer to quite up to 25% of the Class A shares at a price of $33 per yep. share. Uh, he will also provide $200 million upon completion of the deal, so he never would get that $200 million cash injection. Um, according to the Premier League, they, they can do that right now. Uh, anyone else mm-hmm. can put that 200 million in and a further 100 million by the end of 2024 that will increase Ratcliffe stake up to 29 percent um while glazers will still own 49 percent so um so the class a shares are really irrelevant in terms of um at Ratcliffe's influence at the, you know in the club but the deal doesn't hinge on these class a's um but uh so here we are we're going to see obviously their influence immediately uh we've already seen that um one of the things that was making headlines quite a bit last week was a new stadium and uh, you need to have some challenges with the existing stadium the south stand you know you've got um the the suburban charting stand the railway at the back which makes expansion difficult uh, they own significant amount of acreage around the football club that they could extend on the south stand single tier because of what's going on behind them. Um, they could expand it. Um, they could bring it up to 92,000, 93,000 uh, seater stadium uh, for about half the price of a new stadium. Um, you know, Jim Radcliffe talked about the Wembley of the North and asking the city, the, the, the council, to contribute, as they have done, of course, with the likes of West Ham, as they have done with the likes of Manchester City. Um, I'm in two minds about that. My belief, just like I believe here, that uh, football owners should buy their own stadium. And I don't believe that the city should have helped Abu Dhabi either, even though I know that Abu Dhabi have invested heavily in manchester that's a different thing um that's an investment in manchester they get no return on that um and i don't believe taxpayers should be funding stadiums um and of course naturally when it's united it gets pushed back um more virulently than anyone else um the other thing is is that there's the option of a new stadium my personal belief on this is maybe a bit puritanical i don't Think football stadiums necessarily need to have heated seats and craft brew, craft beers on top. I don't think football needs to be like, um, you know, a, a visit to the theatre. I think football mm-hmm. should have some level of soul in a stadium where no, these identical stadiums, they look nice, they look pretty, but you lose something. And I think that Old Trafford is one of those historical stadiums where you know it was rebuilt after the war you know when it was bombed it, you know you've got of course you know there's so much history at that stadium um it, it retains a link to united's past that is so important to me 
there's someone who supports the football club and I feel that I would want United to extend Old Trafford rather than build this brand new identical stadium that can take years to feel like home. Um, maybe I, I don't people might say I'm a lot out noise here, but I believe that football. I don't. It's new football. It's new sports. You know, everything has got to be heated seats and luxury. I, I don't know. I'm, I, I, I want to see United States Old Trafford, but I respect that other people feel differently about this. Yeah, I mean, I, I, my view on it, I have obviously not being in any sense local. I don't have mm-hmm. the same. Uh, you know, I don't want to speak for anybody on that respect from an emotional yeah. attachment standpoint. In the slightest, um, from a practicality standpoint, I understand the finances of wanting a new one, and why and what it can provide. If that can't be done with Old Trafford, uh, you know the Madrid Stadium mm-hmm. that they've put together. There's all the luxuries and all of that, which is fine. From a practical standpoint, what I find very good about it is, of course, that the revenues they've been able to bring in. Uh, with the stadium have allowed them to, I believe it's like pay the stadium off years early, years and years early and have an enormous level of, of income coming in uh, that is going to allow them to essentially do whatever they want for a long period of time from a football standpoint. And um, from that perspective, I think that they should do whatever it takes whatever would be the best financially to allow them to allow the club to to compete at the highest level from a financial decision. You know, I I think that's sort of my practical take on it. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Anywhere I just, I just don't want to see United make every decision based on what's the most profitable. I I understand. And so I understand to balance because you have to have resources to compete and you know, United are still obviously trying to compete with the world's top football clubs, yeah. and I, you know, yeah. a stadium provides enormous revenue. But you know, I heard this about Arsenal. You know, we're going to move into the Emirates so we can give us the finances to compete with the big boys, but it didn't happen, right? Yeah. And I heard this about Spurs. We're going to move into this new stadium so we can have the resources to compete with the big boys. Both those football clubs, I mean, Spurs are still doing business today in exactly the same way they were always <laughs> were. And Arsenal, up until about two years ago, were, were doing exactly the same. And so I, I don't know. You know, I, I look at that and go, I keep hearing that as justification, but I'm not sure if I ever actually see that. And, the thing and, is, I, I do hear you, but I would believe it with Ineos. Like with Madrid, mm-hmm. they're using it for the money. And it's making, you know, it's allowing them to practically spend. They went a couple of years without spending um in there a little bit now they can do whatever they want now uh at this point in time and you know that they're going to use it for that with arsenal it was still obviously under the same kind of ownership and they've really only turned around and started spending like they probably should have recently under spurs they're still dealing with the same owner and daniel levy you know and the tightness of his pocket and things like that um but yeah, well, I, mean, I mean, I hear you. I hear you. But yeah, I mean, Levy. I, I do understand you. It's, it's. I know, and you don't want to take the soul out of the thing either, which is understandable too. Um, 
yeah, I, I, like like I said, I, I, I'm of I'm of two minds because I, yeah, you I could, also think uh, you could by you could refurbishing Old Trafford. Yeah, you, you could you could refurbish Old Trafford. You could argue to, good argument both ways. Yeah, right. Yeah. And I I completely accept your points um, because you know this stuff really matters, especially with tighter controls on PSR yeah. where your revenue really does. Like, do you want to be in a few years? Revenue's capped. We can't do it. Other clubs are doing it, and now we're five years behind. I think could that yeah, happen with football? I guess is yeah, the question. Yeah, no. I think with Madrid, they were doing a Spanish football. Obviously, doesn't have the same in revenue yeah. streams as the Premier League. Um, their TV money, everything's totally different. So that is very, really important. I understand that um, with United. I think there are a few stadiums that are, or I can't, maybe I'm overrating no Trafford, I don't know. Um, and I just think for me, you know, in sport especially, uh, history and tradition matter. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, we look at Saudi Arabia, right? You bring all these players, right? But it's not enough because sports, you're selling history. We, we learned yeah. this here with NASL, right? Yeah. And then... You had to realize to build a brand, okay, rivalry, all the things that sell takes years. You just have to be patient. You're not going to get there overnight. So, and we built stadiums here. Now we have foundation. Now we have, you know, a history to sell. Now, you know, the sport is growing organically. And I think that these are all things that matter. Whether a stadium's vital to that, I don't know. But for me, I think. I still would like United to retain that link to the past, but I respect the alternative argument, and I think that uh, there is a practical side to this that you have to acknowledge that, like in this PSR world, where how much money you bring into the football club will determine an awful lot about how you spend. These are things you have to consider. So, I mean, the United have extended Old Trafford multiple times for this reason because it has given them a financial advantage. And when Liverpool always said, we need a stadium to rival Old Trafford. Clearly, if you look at match day revenue, you know, and we saw this during COVID, it's a significant part yeah. of the football club's budget. So I, I do get the arguments either way. Um, but uh, it seems that uh, any of us are looking at this very, very closely and um, are looking at all options we had the assessors in you know a couple of weeks ago and uh they're talking to a number of uh, well they're talking to a number of different people but it looks like the architectural firm that did spurs the stadium is the one that they're talking to with united so we will see what happens there um other thing that was talked about through the week was potentially a contract you know for copy minor um i have to say i don't know what said this before in a podcast when we talk about no signings in January, Kabi Mani was like a signing in January. Mm-hmm. Really yeah. I mean, yeah. even for McTominay's goal at the weekend, it got overlooked. His, you know, the skill yes. that he did and, and, the, and the layoffs, yep. where he was surrounded by, I think it was Diego Carlos. Just magnificent. I mean, I, I just, it's a privilege to watch this young kid. He's been compared with all these different players. And I'm looking at him like, he's got a bit of Zavi in him. He's got a bit of Sergi Busquets. He's got a bit of, you know, everything in him. It's just unbelievable composure. Uh, but his current contract runs to 2027. He got a new one last year. Is it too soon to be talking about a new contract renewal for him? 
No, I don't think so, given that, you know, obviously there's limitations, right, to, to what you want to do with a renewal. But I think that this is one place that they that you, you can do it right. Um, you don't want to get anywhere near the end of his contract, which... Well, it's 2027, but are we, are we saying, all right, you've had three or four of your games, we're going to give you a new contract, or should you not be saying, we'll talk at the end of the season? Well, here's a question. Do you consider him a player that's going to be a regular fixture in the match day squad? Because if so, then he's probably deserving of whether he's a starter or not. Well, he's probably I, I deserving think he of. It, but yeah, but yeah, I would say you want him on parity. You know, I don't think it'll happen for a little while. By the way, I mean these things often take quite a bit of time between starting the contract talks to actually signing a new deal. Um, I think it's going to take a little bit of time. In if he had a dip in form, James, for the next six weeks after he gets his contract renewal, yeah. you know what's going to happen. Oh, yeah. Well, he's going to, oh, as soon as you got this new contract, the debt, you know, um, and if you're mining, right, you might say, I want to wait till the summer because my stock will be even higher. By mm-hmm. then. If I send a contract right now, the 2028, 2029, yeah. that my market value, let's say, it gets picked for the Euros, right? Let's say you need to go on a run, finish Champions League, FA Cup. He's integral to that. His 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 weeds that he would command in the summer. If I was his agent, I'd say, let's just wait this. But summer. that's the point, right? I mean, but you're you're right. But that's kind of the argument. Right now, can you get him on parity with your squad players at maybe fifty to seventy thousand a week, right? By Brand summer, he's on sixty grand a week. I know, I know. By summer. If he's selected for the Euros, is he going to ask for 150? But I think if you're United, you want to do that. <laughs> I think it's okay, fine. You know, I'm protector asset at that stage. But yeah. you know, in the past, United have given out contracts to young players too soon. Brandon Williams yeah. on 60 grand a week. When Southampton wanted him two years ago, he would have been a number as pay player. It's one of the reasons why United can't get rid of these players. Now I don't think that's going to happen. Yeah, his talent is outrageous. I don't think he's in United would be in danger of losing him. Um, and I think that you know, even if he signs a from United's perspective, if he signs a contract now that's you know 30 grand a week and he has that you know amazing period, they're gonna have to redo it in a year anyway. So, I mean, but if I if I'm the club, I might be a bit reticent about doing it right now, where I'd be like. No, because Garnacho is going to have to get a new contract in the summer too. Regardless of the length, he's going to have to get you know a wage increase um, that is commensurate with young players of that level across the world. Um, so I, I don't know if I'm minding, maybe I, I want to wait, but uh, it's a. It, it, I wouldn't mind the new contract for him. You know, I, 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 I want to describe yeah. him from where he's at. He looks like a really yeah. composed young man. Um, you know, has tremendous. Composure and uh, looks like a, a really, um, I just really hope that United are managing him off the field. I really yeah, and you know, yeah, I, I, I agree. Go ahead. Sorry, finish your point. No, I was just going to say, I mean, just think about all the all the attention that's going to come on this kid, and all the sponsors that are going to be around him, and United have to learn somewhat from Robin Morris and Mason Greenwood that if there's not proper oversight on all the potential pitfalls for these kids, you don't want to lose another talent like this. And I really hope that with Manny's emergence and United being a, a whole different football club, that they can make sure he's managed properly off the field and that he's given 
all the support that he's going to need because this kid is going to fit, live in a whole different world. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think that my hope is under new management, we don't have to worry so much about the decisions that are made. You know, like I don't question it whenever Liverpool gives someone a new contract. I don't know the ins and outs of their club, you know what I mean? But I don't question it when they make a decision or when City make a decision or when Madrid, sign, you know, gives somebody. They've Many times they've done things where I've thought as an outside observer, I've said, I don't know about that signing or that player or that thing, and it works out. And it's mm -hmm. just, it just works. And I think that hopefully as United fans, it's kind of funny because we're so used to for 10 years of this having to second guess everything that mm -hmm. United do as a football club. And it, I think it'll be really nice <laughs> if in a year from now, a couple of years from now, we look and say, you know what? It's not a hundred percent. Nobody's going to hit on a hundred percent of signings, of decisions, of contracts, of everything, but we don't have to question it. And we just look at it and say, yeah, that was a good move. And yeah, that's going to work out. And hopefully, you know, this is the start of that. I'm encouraged by the things that we see in January uh, with the players, how their deals went with the loans that are going out there and the options and the decisions that are being made to where I'm thinking, obviously there's more they know inside in discussions with him, with his agent, with everybody than we were, we're ever going to know on the outside mm -hmm. that it's a good call and it's going to remain a good call no matter what moving forward on that. And, and I am hopeful and, it's it's kind of like that with some of these things where, you know, we, we are so opinionated because we've seen so many mistakes happen over the years that, um, you know, aside from just the fun of discussing it, that we're so opinionated that I'm a little bit ready to like, <laughs> you know, take the hands off the wheel a little bit mm -hmm. <laughs> and have a little faith, you know what I mean, that they're going to make the right calls because one, we have to because they're going to make them whether we say anything or not. But two, I do think there's smart people doing things for the right reasons. Um, and I'm ready to kind of accept it. You know, whatever decisions they make, I'm ready to accept it. And that would be with contracts. That's going to be when it comes down to decisions on coaches. Ten Hag stays, Ten Hag doesn't. I, whatever it is, I'm going to accept it and, and take it on faith that they know what they're doing. You know, either way, regardless of any of my feelings. And the same when, when it comes to things like appointments of directors and all of that kind of stuff. It's just for now, I'm willing to, I'm willing to give them, you know, to say, you know, for the next bit of time, I'm just going to accept whatever they do as being a positive and, uh, and see what happens. Okay. Uh, let's uh, talk about fixtures coming up. Um, United, of course, play um, my wife's favorite team this weekend, Luton Town, for some reason. And I think uh, she, Luton Town are also your wife's favorite team and everyone's wife's favorite team and everyone's girlfriend's favorite team, if they haven't told you this. Um, Everybody knows of somebody so, whose favorite team is Luton Town, don't they? So, uh, seems to be all females for some reason. I don't know if just, <laughs> my wife seems to go into a bit of a trance when their manager comes on talking. Not quite <laughs> to see when Roy Hodgson comes on talking and all of a sudden Rob Edwards comes on. And, uh, just an aura, you know. Oh, just, just, I'm like... Not be bastard. Now, um, brilliant job that they have that he has done with Luton. Mm, just, yeah, I, I'll tell you something, James. One of the things that I think English football is slightly unique in that I think is really valuable is that the strength of their lower leagues is mm -hmm. that their lower leagues are well attended, um, and that 
you know, you can go to games for championship that have fantastic attendance. Germany has this too, to be fair. But I think that um, one of the few links to legitimate meritocracy is promotion relegation that yes. we have left. And when we see clubs like Luton come up with a stadium like Kenilworth Road, like I remember watching United Luton in the late 80s, early 90s. Um, I remember when Ferguson tried to sign McHarford in 81, 92, uh, you know, because they badly needed goals. And um, this football club, you know, um, no money. This tiny dilapidated stadium that really is going back in a time warp. um, And they were everybody's favourite to go down. And they have given so many teams, especially the Canvas Road, really difficult games. I mean, Liverpool had to win their lead. Arsenal didn't win till late. Um, I know they lost this weekend to Sheffield United, but that's going to be a really difficult game. And I remember behaving like a smacked arse when you had to beat them on the little Trafford. Like I was almost, you know, almost almost offended that you know they'd beat them four yeah. or five. But my attitude towards them is totally different now. Yep, yep, exactly. I, I, I it's, it's, uh, yeah, it's impressive. I think it's going to be, um, it's a tough game. I, it's been tough for absolutely everybody. So. You know, another one that we expect to win, but I wouldn't be hap- I wouldn't be mad about a scrappy, you know, a scrappy win, you know, in 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 there and, and coming oh, away yes. from that. Um, obviously, we should win in the current run of form with the current players that we have. I'd change virtually nothing. Uh, hopefully, Luke Shaw is available um, because I think that is a huge difference maker. Him being able to play there, um, especially since you don't have Juan Basaka, it seems right now to you know, swap around kind of with Diogo Dalo. Um, and the options after that are not, are just not great. Uh, so hopefully, but but then we should be able to to get a result and keep this form going and and climb. I mean, you know, climb towards that that top five position, ideally, because it's, a, it's, it's no longer out of reach. And, you know, every weekend is going to be big. I mean, it, you know. Tottenham have a pretty tough run of fri- fixtures coming up soon mm-hmm. here where they've got, you know, they have some easy games, but they have a tough one, I think, around, the, you know, going into March and, and beyond. So it could be quite interesting. It could be a game that pulls United in closer. It could be progress. And uh, probably the last game that we watch prior to the uh, the Ineos deal and all of that being ratified well- fully and – yeah, so this is a tough game, and then they've got Fulham, and then they've got Forest in the FA Cup. I think that'll be a whole different game yeah. than what it was, um, you know, a month ago when you had it went yep. in a whole different mood. And then, of course, they've City away. Um, we talk about Champions League qualification. Um, if you need a can go take a draw at City, okay? Beat Luton, you beat Fulham, right? I mean, to me, that 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 would be. We've we done this podcast two weeks ago and I said that Ten Hag needed to win his next two games against Wolves and West Ham. I didn't think he would do that. He has. Um, if you said to me back then that will beat Wolves, beat West Ham, beat Villa away, I would have found that hard to believe. Yeah. Um, remember, yeah. you know, City lost at Villa, Arsenal lost at Villa. Um, so not an easy place. City also lost at Wolves. You know, so I think uh, you have to give them credit. Um, yep. Luton be a different test. Now they can go get three points from there. They will start to believe that this yep. is for them. You know, yep. and so 
I think um, I also feel like United will be much better in that City game than what they were at Old Trafford. Um, I, that City game still rankles with me, man. I swear to God, I still think about that penalty and mm. how many times since then mm. that I've seen, seen something similar. I know. It's far worse than that. Yeah. And that game, and I'm like, you know, Paul Tierney, I think he referred the Liverpool Chelsea game a week ago, and Chelsea had two clear pounds not given in it. And what this is the same guy that gave a penalty against Rosmus Hoyland for the most minimal, minimal yeah. And I know we all look at the ones we don't get, but that was really frustrating. Um, and then of course, like we said about Forest Forest away in the FA Cup be a tough game, but I think they will come through that. And um, you know, well, it's going to be a really interesting few weeks. But this weekend was absolutely huge. We needed yep. to um, finish top four. If there's a top four, top five chance, um, that was really important. So that is a is a positive. Anything else before we go, man? Do we do we cover anything? Um, last thing I wanted to mention. Uh, keep mentioning it a little bit, but uh, it's worth continuing to mention. Is obviously. The other major thing that we'll probably see before summer is, uh, and once this ratification occurs, is of course the likely moves for director football and all of that yeah. changes that are occurring because that is something that is in the works. It is something happening. And I've changed my perspective a few times on what it might be and and, and all of that. And it's really hard to get solid information on this. And are extremely quiet, similar to the whole Omar Barada appointment. Mm-hmm. You're not seeing the same level of leaks. You're not seeing the mm-hmm. same level of news going out there. Um, you know, I, I, I did solidly get that it wouldn't be Paul Mitchell and that is the case for sure. And that has been confirmed, but you know, there's still quite a few names. There could be some surprises, but there's definitely encouragement still around Dan Ashworth and bringing him from Newcastle. Be interesting away from there. High quickly and edit point blanc. Because yeah. obviously that's going to be a key appointment. And be interested to see once this gets completely ratified, how quickly that changes. I wonder how that's going to affect the club internally yeah. and some of the existing staff. Um you know, this is going to be a very, very uh, tumultuous next few months because you're going to see so many internal changes in how you need to do business. Um, you know, and it, you know, it's really important to me that they get that director of football in immediately because yes. the business for the summer will start immediately. Oh. Agency to <laughs> who to talk to, you know, yep. who makes the decisions, and this is going to be really important for United once they have that guy in place. For agents, okay, there's a very clear structure here about how we go about presenting players to United because in the past, they present them to a manager, they present them to Ed Woodward, they present them to Richard Arnold, they present them to, you know, John Murda, and now it's like, this is what we, this yeah. is where everything goes through. And We need that guy in now. Yeah. I mean, the, the talks start basically now for summer. They really do. And, you know, James, I've talked to the agents that have dealt with United, and they'll say things like, we'll we'll talk to United in March or April and we'll have a very clear strategy on bringing our player here. And then by June, it's completely changed. And, yep. you know, someone's making promises they can't keep. And then this guy's doing this, then this guy's doing this. And then you talk to another colleague and they'll say, well, actually they're, they're after my player in that position. They're doing that. It's like, you know, and then they ruin relationships with players with agents and stuff because it's just chaos. 
And yeah. so they started becoming known as a club that agents would dump players. You know, no one else wants them. We can get them to United because yeah. they're so poorly run. It does seem like, and I know you've talked about this before, that they're very interested in Brantwaite. They really yeah. like him. I know Van Nistelrooy also uh, heavily recommended him to United, to Ten Hag, and, um, young English you know, centre-back, left, can also play on the left. Um, would be a left-footed centre-back, could also play at left-back. Uh, radiates profile, everything else does seem like he is someone United are really um, very interested in. So I would expect United to make some moves there, and I think Everton with PSR might have to sell. The summer, so that is a deal they could very possibly do, uh, and then obviously some other key decisions to be made. I think they'll move Christian Eriksen on this summer. Um, I think um, obviously they have to make a decision with Jaden Sancho, Mason Greenwood on that Mason Greenwood thing. I'm not going to name the individual, right? But he is a, a journalist well known in the United Circles. Um, and they were talking about how much United should sell Mason Greenwood for this summer. And I had a figure in my own head, roughly. And he said, if United got 10 million for Mason Greenwood this summer, should bite someone's hand off for him. I'm like, what? Huh. You would let Mason Greenwood go for 10 million? Mason Greenwood, you know, right now, regardless of what you think of him personally, because there's clearly clubs around the world where that doesn't matter to you. So you know, I'm not asking you to make a you know, judgment on him as a human being and all that, that's different. But Mason Greenwood, as a football player to clubs around the world, even, you know, they don't care about what happens, yeah. right? Again, you can deal with that if you're not, not saying that's correct. But I, I think, you know, it should expect to get more than 10 million funds. Yep. I, I mean, right now, I haven't been following him because... Well, he's scoring goals statistically, but he's five goals, five assists in La Liga, mm-hmm. which is consistently Hafe too. Yeah, uh, you know, and obviously we already know he can play. He's done it for United, but after all this timeout, obviously you wanted to see it. Mm-hmm. It's a minimum fifty million player for me. I was thinking think, sixteen. So you're yeah, I think so. I think that it, it's ridiculous to consider that you would accept less. Because if someone's going to want to buy him, it doesn't matter how much they pay for him. Like the personal, my point being, if he's, if you're going to buy the player, the personal consideration about all the other issues are irrelevant. He's either playing or he isn't. The price tag doesn't matter in that respect. You know, if you're okay with him playing for you, then you're okay with paying what he's worth. Right. So he has a year left on his contract at the end of the season, yeah. right? So this is really the point where you have to make a decision. Yeah. And you know, so, I'm pretty sure he'll be sold, but yeah, I'll sell I do think score. they should ask for that. But I mean, sixty million. I mean, yeah. I, I mean, even in the I've, I've watched some of the games where, you know, he's let those games up, yeah. and so you know, it again, is a bargain it's, it's, on it's, talent. It's, but it's yeah. so difficult to talk about him as a footballer because yeah. um, there's obviously very uh, serious issues surrounding the guy that um, lots of people will be affected for, with in different ways. I respect that. Um, I, this is not 
the character endorsement is just a, 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 yeah. a practical conversation about what is if yeah, I agree if you if you decide to pursue him then you've already accepted that all the off the field stuff you know is, is not relevant or 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 is within the parameters of acceptability for you you're, you're yeah. so you so you know to me I think um because let me put it I guess you buy Mason Greenwood in Spain say Atletico Madrid ban what will he be worth a year from now if he's if he's playing or you know talking 120 million 30 yeah, million easily. in that you league know? absolutely yeah so i mean because at that stage you know i mean yes there'll be still a lot of people angry but um well you know a lot of people you know for clubs in spain and stuff they 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 don't have the yeah. same views on it so um yeah, I don't know. I think it's you know they're within their rights to ask for more than ten million for Mason yeah. Greenwood. Um, I agree. All right, we'll go ahead and leave it there. Uh, we'll be back again next week, folks. As always, um, hope you all enjoyed your weekend. Hope your physical health is good, your mental health is good. Don't forget to support our fanzines, Red News, um, and of course, United We Stand. Uh, they're vital resources for the fans. Contain brilliant information. I'm a big subscriber to United We Stand. Um, uh, fanzine so please do support them folks uh we, we will be back again next week so take it easy man cheers james yes of course see you later bye folks yeah